Welcome back to Blacker Couch Reviews. I'm your host, Christina. We're back to discuss the fourth episode in the fourth season of True Detective, The Night Country, written by Namsi Khan, Chris Mundy, and Issa Lopez. Directed by Issa Lopez once again. I enjoyed this episode for the continued themes this show presents. And I think that's one of its strong suits. I like that they have introduced two characters that are rather polar opposites. There was a quip from one of the podcasters I listened to that there was a lack of chemistry between between Danvers' character and Evangeline. But I think that's rather purposeful. I mean, these people are, these two people are not bound together by their characteristics. They're bound together by their worth ethic and their desire to follow the clues to get to the bottom of the mystery and they're willing to make a lot of personal sacrifices invested in that and so to me the 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 lack of chemistry if you will has it really bothered me all season I will say now that I realize that this season is only six episodes I would have been much more critical of the pacing if I had known that. I thought this was 10 episodes. And the reason why I would think that is because most most seasons are 8 or 10. But 6 seems rather entirely too short. Because if you have 6 episodes, you have very little time to waste. And now I have questions that I'm not sure are going to be answered in the next two episodes. So there is some trepidation that wasn't there before. Knowing that fact, there's also or was also commentary, again, from one of the podcasters I listened to or recappers, I should say, on YouTube, where they critique the music that it was too much of a soundtrack. And I can see that. While it did not bother me last episode at all, it certainly felt overpowering in this one. And that's because of the emotional impacts, I think, that took me more out of it because I needed to be there in those moments with those characters. And the music was fucking loud. I don't know why it was loud, but it felt louder than the scenes. So I could see why it would be bothersome or was bothersome to me, at least more this week than it has been. And it's it's one of those things where it also could be a, 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 a taste type of situation because I think Gen V really worked because of the music choices in that show. And they would have sometimes one or two per episode. But 
to that point, <laughs> four songs per episode may be excessive. So yeah, I think there's some, I think that there's some credence to that particular critique. Before we jump into our review, because I took absolutely no notes, wherever you listen to this podcast, wherever good podcasts can be found, go down to the rating section, drop some stars, leave a review, my social media will be there as well. If you want to send feedback, catch at gmail.com or you can leave a comment below. So let's start with Danvers because that's the easiest part to begin with because that's where the episode also starts because she's listening to her white noise machine and I listen to a white noise machine when I sleep every night. It's ridiculously loud. But every time I bring the nieces and nephews over, they all say the same thing. It's extremely comforting. And so I related to Liz on, on a visceral level in that scene, trying to go to sleep. And the only thing that gets you to sleep is this white noise, because that's what it takes when you have an anxiety disorder to get the world out of your head so that you can focus only on that. So you can try to get into some REM sleep. And I do mean try. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. If you're tired, be quiet, go to sleep, go to sleep. She goes to Leah's room and she cares for her stepdaughter, but she does not show her emotion. Just like Connolly said, you are not good with people. People do not like working with or being around you because you yourself have become far more brittle than you already were, which that was an insight that I think we needed. It's also a smart choice because the loss of her child didn't alter her persona drastically. She had already had these characteristics that only were exacerbated by the loss of Holden. We learn is her child's name and I can't remember what her husband's name was and now... I think we get an idea of what happened, that they were involved in some type of accident. And now I understand in the beginning, in episode one, why she was ever horrified with her stepdaughter, Leah, in the car with her and almost being run off the road. It also... It also provides or reinforces what I initially perceived about the character is that Liz is very good at her job, but that she somewhere along the way became shit at it and complacent and continued to spiral. And it turns out there was some political (laughs) things behind it as well as in regards to her relationship with Connolly, which we learn about when she goes to his place, even though we're skipping ahead just a bit. She is obsessively watching the camera footage from Annie Kotak 
And there's whale bones in the cave that she's at. And she continues to watch it to search for more clues. And then she, uh, and then she decides to contact poor Pryor. Pete is under a thumb and he knows it and he's allowing it to happen. So while I want to blame her for being an overbearing boss, because she is that times 15, he certainly isn't being manipulated really into the situation other than by doing so he's in the position he wants to be with Liz, which is her dependent or the person that she depends on solely and primarily for anything and everything that she needs. And yes, it probably stems from a lack of a mother figure in his life and probably a desire to want to be a cop his entire life, seeing his father Hank be an absolute horrible example of one. And now he gets this rare opportunity where he can learn from someone that has done more than he will ever see in his lifetime and, and is as fascinated by the case study as he is. On her way to the ice rink because she intends to be there to supervise the bodies being moved to Anchorage. She finds out Connolly's already there. She wonders what the fuck he's doing there. And that's when she runs into, into Jules, Navarro's sister, and has Pete call Navarro without telling him why or what the reason is. And I'm not sure that you need all that information, <laughs> Pete. But sure. She takes her to the police station. She thanks her. She listens to... Liz overhears the conversation between between Navarro, Eve, which is way easier, and Julia, because they now have decided she has to go to the lighthouse. The these incidents are becoming ever more increasing. She's starting to take her clothes off. It, you know, it's very cold outside. So it's alarming and they think it's time to finally try to get some assistance. Uh, Liz is thanked again by Julia. They talk about the case. It's also Christmas Eve. I don't give a I felt like that was Liz's theme this entire episode when it came to that. And it's because she doesn't have a family, which is rather selfish. And it's brought up that she's being rather selfish. But she's not concerned with that. And that's that's part of her character. Again, the people that indulge her. Because I know if someone really did not want to go into work on Christmas Eve, well, I guess those reports are going to get done when they get done. Because... <laughs> it's not like they're gonna get done if my fingers are not 
typing away just because you requested it. Okay. No, 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 no. If you need to put a, a additional APB out, you can do that shit yourself. That's just my personal opinion, but Pete is a different kind of person and he agrees to do just that because he ends up finding the information about Otis, who was a former engineer and had similar injuries to the one as the Salaw people with the eardrums. He bit off his, his, uh, chewed off his fingers. He's blind in one eye so now they need to find him and clark they may even be together it's like everyone's out there looking for clark what you got five people what's everyone (laughs) and considering the fight in the in the hospital room which that's down to fucking hank even though of course she's in charge but i'd be saying well then allow me to punish my deputy as i need to see fit and then maybe just maybe we'll see some change around here uh after taking care of the navarro situation she goes back to trying to be um a parent because she's gotten a call once again this time from kate because Leah has vandalized the, the mill headquarters. Kate wants to press charges. And she says, no. What do you mean, no? <laughs> yes, Kate is being vindictive, but she also has every right to say, I want to press charges against that burglar that just happens to be your child or your stepdaughter. And you can't decide to not do your duty because of that. And she ends up walking away. And I have a feeling that that's not the last that she hurt. Like, that is stupid. Why would you just decide not to do your job as if that's not a reason to have you removed from your position? And that's even more, more of what she would want than just having your daughter get a slap on the wrist or your stepdaughter get a slap on the wrist. Because that's effectively what have happened. And then Leah, you stupid for getting caught. <laughs> I, I was not on Leah's side. I do not like, I do not like teen drama. I have enough of it at home. But right here, I was not on Leah's side. Not only did you decide that you was going to do what you was going to do, but you must have also had caught in the ears when the lady said she wanted to press charges on you and I vehemently denied putting myself and my job in danger to protect you but the first thing you want to talk about is how I don't want to be a parent to you anyway and that's when I'm deciding to leave I would think the moment when you told me I was supposed to deny my heritage would be the moment I'm packing my shit up and I'm gonna go so yeah, no, Leah. <laughs> Whether you felt rightly vindicated or not, everyone else that's protesting aren't doing it in this manner. So did you even check with your peeps first? I don't know. But I will say for you to be like, why do you always take their side? Excuse me, bitch. That's clearly not what happened, ma'am. <laughs> 
And then she just awkwardly stands there, allows it, says, just fucking go. Just let me make turkey first. You haven't had that turkey unthawed twice now in 72 hours. I think that 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 poultry is no longer good. I'm glad it ended up in the trash because you would have just gave that poor child food poisoning. And, you know, they could have put their differences aside, but I do feel in this moment (laughs) on Christmas Eve, it was irrational for Aaliyah to decide to leave. And I feel as if as a parent, no, you're not going to leave my house after doing something that was, I don't know, illegal, even if you think it's for the right reasons. Maybe we can have a conversation about doing more or what I can help do more to support your activism, but not in this manner. So yeah, both of them were in the wrong. She decided, well, I guess I'm going to hit this bottle. I'm so drunk I can barely see but it helps me get to another day. While Saw, she figured out that that there was an electrical power outage. Someone cut the power in Salah, and the same thing must have happened when someone had a generator wherever they were in that cave. Navarro already pointed out there's no caves in the area, which leads to one of the few funny moments in the in the entirety of the episode. So she calls Pete and tells both of them to go talk to Otega since he was an engineer. And they do that. And I think that's a good moment to catch us up with our other characters. Starting with Eve, she takes Julia to the lighthouse, checks her in. There's a lot of I love you, baby girls. And this is the right thing to do. She's like, you knew you were always going to end up here. I think what sells this arc is that you can tell that Eve really cares but also is helpless in the face of what they both already knew but I do feel a certain disconnect with Julia as a person I felt heartbroken for Eve because I felt I knew Julia through Eve And what we did get from her was very limited. But someone struggling with mental health, I think nowadays is something most of us can instantaneously relate to. So it kind of also did most of the work itself by, by just being something that's very relevant and prevalent. She then tells her sister goodbye. Julia is visited by one of the spirits. The same one that threw the orange at Evangeline. And that causes her to 
to leave the facility. She ends up going out to her special place, but she's able to convince Eve that, you know, she's fine, that she loves her, that she'll see her tomorrow, which is not what happens. And Eve was outside of the lighthouse, but it's due to the case that she decided to drive away after talking to Liz about the fact that, you know, I had to put her in the facility for her own. We, she checked herself in for her own sake. So her and Pete, who has done the APBs, as he was asked to do, he checks in with his dad, Hank. Hank has went to the airport with his little bunny and his little Russian bunny did not get off the plane. We end up looking like a monkey fucking a football out there. And this is one of the tantalizing themes that the the script didn't allow its audience to be smart enough to figure out is that all of these characters are in an isolated loneliness within themselves. And they all are... They all are catastrophically uh, altered for it. Call it trauma, if you will, as well, because Hank had his wife leave him. That's not to say his abusive nature didn't exist before then, but he craves not being alone. And it's not a, it's not a love that he wants from his son. That's secondary. It's a, a desire he wants to feel to another human being. Uh, and he he was willing to pay and deceive in order to receive that and in turn was deceived. And I'm not empathetic. I'm not very empathetic toward it, but I'm sympathetic toward it. Right. Because being made a fool of is never a feeling that's good and knowing what that feels like yeah i can relate to that however we are talking about someone who clearly isn't making the responsible choices in his life he has a certain idea about what his position is and what other females around him isn't. He's clearly abusive to his son and has been for quite some time. And he's chosen someone that needs him financially and for their actual coming over to this country to be able to stay here permanently if they were to continue further into that type of relationship. So it is one that comes with a certain level of power leveling in his favor. And so, and like I said, he's not even honest with that. He's still going around taking photos of his old self to give the wrong and false impression to entrap someone. And that he, 
like I said, was looking like Boo Boo the Clown <laughs> when that hot stewardess was not at all what he was going to have for dinner that night. And he had it all planned with the roses on the bed and the, uh, the little teddy bear. And he brought her the wine and he really wanted to make an impression. But that's exactly what he was selling, an impression of himself and not his true self. That doesn't mean that people like that don't want or need or desire love or companionship. Uh, so he ends up being invited by Pryor over. Well, actually, he invites himself over to their house. He's like, oh, I have to check with Kayla. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure you have to check with Kayla because I don't care. I'm coming. <laughs> but Pete recognizes fully in that moment that he is he's not a priority to his father but he does for the sake of the fact that he is his father allow him to come with him and for once I was with Hank it's Christmas Eve for fuck's sake I wouldn't ask you if I didn't need you and uh, they ended up finding the discovery, which did seem rather worth it. But come on. And I don't, it, it's worse that I can't tell what time it is. I don't know if it's five o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock, 10 p.m. It seemed pretty late when he got in. As long as he's there at Christmas morning for the presents, that's that's kind of the most important part because uh, let's be real I'll, I kind of feel like some of these um, expectations are not realistic to life how you know how many fucking people work Christmas Eve <laughs> or work Christmas Day I get that it's a holiday but people still have to put food on the table it's an artificial one it's a signify for that but I shouldn't need a holiday to assimilate family you shouldn't need a holiday to all cook together and talk about things right i feel as if these marked out days are are just meant to it's to force <laughs> to force that type of familiarity then authentically just do that on a daily basis and it doesn't matter if you miss christmas because well, I've had Christmas every weekend with you for forever. The only thing that makes a difference between Christmas is literally the presents and the things you eat around the holiday. All of it's man-made and manufactured. So I just don't... Like if you get off at 8 p.m. or even 11 p.m. on Christmas fucking Eve, I can't see any parent not being okay with, oh my gosh, we're going to wake up in the morning and open presents and we can cook, you know, that, that seemed more rational to me than like, then when she was making requests on Christmas day, then that, that seemed a little bit more over the top than Christmas Eve. Cause it's just that Christmas Eve. And we all know what the vultures really care about. Money, 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 money. Money, 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 money. 
to pee, the best uh, line was, you didn't give her any money, did you? And then Hank just simply changes the conversation. And then he doesn't even get to spend time with his his grandson because he's not welcome without his his son to the home. Then we had the Leah scene. I think we already talked about that. Then Kayla sitting in the driveway, side-eyeing her for her husband's decisions. This is another character that does not work. And I think that it was very necessary for us to see that moment where Pete came home and he's climbing into bed and he says, I'm sorry, even though, come on, bro, why are you going to say I'm sorry? You already know that's not going to fix it. And then him just busting it out. Like, look, why don't you just say it? You didn't want to have the baby and I ruined your life. And that makes a lot more sense <laughs> than the 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 artificial love story that they were playing at in the beginning of, oh, I thought you were just this sweet kid and you just kept saying, I can't believe I, I fell in love with the white boy. But all we've gotten from you is your is your anger at Liz because he's doing his job for the first time in like ever because I can't for five seconds from the narrative the show has presented, believe that there's been anything half exciting as this within years. However fucking long that she's been here. And before then, you couldn't have been that busy. So I, I kind of felt like if she's angry at Liz because she's trying to not keep her from her heritage, again, that's a more relative thing to throw up and talk about and they have that moment where they're teaching her how to cook and it was all nice. But that felt also, I don't know. It felt manufactured in a way only because I don't know these people. So what is even the relationship between <laughs> Kayla and Leah and and, and the mother? I, like, I don't get what the, the connections are. And then why can't you just, as an adult, Kayla, yourself, just come and talk to Liz about Leah. She's in your custody or you take custody, one or other. Grandma take custody. Why didn't grandma take custody anyway? Clearly, Liz was married and or got custody. You know, I'm sitting here looking for a lot of reasons, but ultimately, I just don't care about Pete and Kayla's relationship. I don't care about Kayla and the grandmother in relation to Leah because it really hasn't been massaged well between either of the indigenous characters really having more of a community-based community arc even though it's happening in the background in regards to the mine and that's where some of the storyline seems to be getting a little lost maybe too many writers in the writer room you know how i feel about three sometimes maybe too many but yeah there's there's no connective tissue that you would expect with the indigenous community and then two of our main characters from said community 
or main focal points that they're giving us with Leah and Eve. And yet they're very, they have very little interactions with the main arc of other than those conversation bits with Liz in the car, which also for the first time in this season really took me a little out of the organic unraveling of the story just because we just had a scene with them in the car having one of these you know close revealing moments you know what I mean so having them back to back I think unfortunately didn't work in its favor so yeah they end up going to Otega's house I think that's his name the guy with a gun and when they get there it's very much reminiscent of the Salal station the symbols on the ground it's even on a rock uh he's missing his rifle sitting there his boots and clothes are there they don't know where he is they come out the nomadic people keep talking about how you need things like warrants to go in people's homes <laughs> it's like i understand that sir but also you don't know that i don't or that i have enough probable cause to have entered said home you don't know why i'm even here this man could have killed someone and you're ready to die for him and that is a bit concerning they ask about the symbol the dogs start barking there's like i guess we got to get the fuck out of there and that's when eve gets the call in regards to her sister because we saw that she was taking off her clothes she took all of them off and walked into the ether and it was from the alaskan coast guard they ended up finding her sister's body but she doesn't tell pete she drives past the asshole who was beating his wife she ends up going to the lighthouse and to her consternation they didn't even know that her sister was missing i'm upset she throws some stuff around in a fit of rage then she goes back to the three guys drinking picks a fight that she eventually loses because she wanted to feel the pain i would have rather she won the fight but that's because that guy's such an asshole i wanted her to at least break something of his <laughs> and it's not like anyone's gonna be reporting anything <laughs> so i at least needed her to break something take out a tooth or something she lost a damn tooth Kavik sitting at home grabs his gun because he hears some rummaging <laughs> and she's downstairs like you should see the other guy and they have their moment where he clearly has been trying to progress the relationship further than it's been he's patient he knows that she's uh she's a little wounded literally and physically and she wants to know why they're alone she's alone this is alone he's alone he's like i'm not alone and you're not alone and i love how he did that trick <laughs> like uh and snapped her finger because it was broken he's like i'm sorry it's fixed now she's like fuck you 
but i thought that was a good emotional scene it worked really well there's a couple of great eve scenes uh, that one was really good and then when she uh was talking to liz the next morning we've also skipped around a couple of things yes i know <laughs> such as when drunk liz goes to see Connolly, who's whitening his teeth <laughs> i had one of those why is this whole entire show talking about my life and she's about ready to get butt naked with him even though she's like what the hell is that in your mouth <laughs> and he was into it until she started making fun of him and he's like you're drunk and okay fine i was less of a cop than you but i got accelerated with you and that must be rough being in love with someone that is not as good as you but does better but like she said you had a shitty attitude you didn't like no one liked to work with you and it doesn't matter how good you are if no one wants to work with you <laughs> and you don't play that game which we've talked a lot about on the jones chronicles then you that that ethic doesn't mean as much and she's making fun of him because of his aspirations of being a polit politician and uh he he wants to help her he's like oh you can't help me anyway because you sent me to ennis and she doesn't realize how much he's insulating her from the fact that a lot of people have it out for her and then she's had the wheeler case and she wonders what he's doing here and he's like well i don't know you've had a lot of problems going on here you've accepted this case and now there's minors protesting there's other things going on that you might need to address and i'm here to help you because clearly clearly you're not in the best of places no matter how capable i know that you are and i was i was thrown by that because i expected not to like Connolly at all but he was talking a lot of sense she ends up leaving gets into a wreck uh, goes into a snowbank and sees that same damn polar bear with the eye shot out i wonder if that's i'm just gonna throw that out there if that's who they've been terrified of <laughs> she's awake the polar bear we struck in the eye she's got vengeance we killed her we killed her cubs <laughs> i probably going out of chronological order at this point but liz and eve do go yeah this is before the she found out about her sister they do go over to the professor's house and that was the funny scene where she's like you should get in front of me <laughs> and then the wife looks over and looks at liz and she tells her is there anyone in this town you have not fucked i'm not judging I'm judging a little, I'm not going to lie. And that's when they got the information that Otis was the one that mapped the caves. And then wife's like, okay, I gave you 15 minutes and that's all I was going to give you. Get the fuck out of my house, you homewrecker. And that's when Eve goes to see Rose to check up on her. And she's all dolled up, dressed up. Admits she used to be a professor, but life was so meaningless that she just decided 
like I keep writing all this shit, but none of it has any any type of of meaning. It was loud. And now I've come here and it's pretty quiet except for the fucking ghosts. And that's that's how she spends her her Christmas Eve and when she gets back home, uh, Kavik has left a little Christmas present, some toothpaste, as well as a little Christmas tree. And that was before she found out about her sister. Then she goes to see Liz that morning, doesn't tell her immediately what has happened or why she has the bruises on her face. She asks further about getting to the cave and needing to locate Otis as well as Clark. Then they have the heart to heart about life, death, that there's no such thing as being ghosts. We're just done. She asks why he's still, why she's still holding on to the toy and then comes to the conclusion that the toy is what Holden was wearing in her vision and he said tell my mommy something to Eve but Eve is shook because she didn't expect this message to be someone from someone she knew and then because Liz does not want to admit that there's anything such as reminiscing she throws out the the teddy bear, the stuffed teddy bear of her son. And I have a feeling that that teddy bear is going to make its way back into her house. And it's going to give her a belief in something. It may not be heaven, hell. Because they talked about praying as well too. Her mother died when she was seven. So they both have in common the loss of the maternal figure in one's life, which is huge. It's huge. Yes, you can be raised by your your father, but there's nothing like the maternal connection between a mother and their child. And she tried to pray, prayed to her knees are black and it didn't do anything. She never heard God's voice. And now after the death of her husband and her son, she's even more dismissive and very bluntly rebuffs the idea she gets aggressive at it which has caused her to throw her her child stuffed animal out but then she goes at the wheeler house you saw something and it's evangeline's turn to say no i didn't when we get the flashback and clearly she did see something so maybe something spiritual happened I don't know. I need to go back to this Wheeler case. Because <laughs> I thought it was going to be a simple matter of Liz or at the very least Evangeline shot the guy, murder, suicide. But that's something else happened. And Evangeline is in very denial about it. And it's Liz who's like, I know something happened. You're a fucking liar. And just when she leaves, they have located the person they need to locate, which is Otis. And that's when they go to the 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 the, the section where he probably is in the old, what did they call it? 
Oh, I can't remember. But it used to be a place that used to work when she was a kid. And that's another part of, uh, I'll get to the critiques at the end. And when they get there, they find Otis running, but Liz pursues him while Evangeline is lured by the spirits because Evangeline stated when she was at Liz's house, which I very much skipped over after telling her her sister died, Liz is like, oh, I'm sorry, especially after saying we're just people, we're gone. And then she says, I'm next. This happens to my family. I couldn't protect her. Um, We're cursed. And she's convinced that she's going to be called into, into death, like her sister, like her mother. So she follows this voice and it's a Christmas tree. And Liz eventually, even though I was thrown off by the shots, because one shot was Liz interrogating Otis. And at the same time, Liz came up and found Eve and said, I've been looking for you everywhere. So I was unsure if I was seeing a second hallucination. That was just an odd choice uh, for that. To play those scenes at the same time, if it wasn't meant to be a hallucination. Because when she finds Eve, her ear seems to be ruptured. It's bleeding and she's just sitting there spaced out cross-legged in front of the Christmas tree. Otis, meanwhile, is like, you can find my friend in the night country. That's where they all are. And that's where we're going to be heading. I have a feeling because that's where the caves are. I don't think that these two women should be going by themselves. And I don't know how all of this is tying into the mine. I do think that there is a curved road somewhere, but the mine bit is getting a little lost in it. The supernatural side's pretty cool. I think they continue to get me with the jump scares enough that I can still sleep at night, but it keeps the mystery going. I think they're doing a really strong job with that. I do feel some of the, the critique is with the, the village as a whole. And maybe that'll be filled in. They don't want to give too much of that away because then it'll fill in the rest of it. Because clearly the the rock was missing and Kavik was the one who knows the nomadic people. It was like, where did you get this? And he seemed to recognize that symbol. So whatever is going on, uh, whatever is going on, isn't not related to the indigenous population. But then you have this other thing with Kate that's just a character we've seen a couple of times. Hank, what's his deal other than what we've seen? Like there's just some missing elements that even I think if you pulled it in, feels a little late to the party at episode four. We should be getting closer to a bit of a climax. And I don't know if we were tugging up the hill as much, even though finding, finding this new guy out of nowhere helps, (laughs) even though I wish it was Clark, though 
we may fa- find Clark in the caves or dead already because he did have his coat. And I think you would need a different type of coat if you were going to be out there in the cold like this. Uh, there's also this idea that in the night is when we are most depressed, when we are at our lowest. So there's something that they're they're playing with here about the emotional state of these characters. Like I said, that the themes are really compelling to me. But some of the the character choices are are odd because I don't feel like I'm getting a real rounded idea of the intricacies in this town when it comes to these two separate things. And like I said, they still, hey, they may wrap it all up. <laughs> And do a good job and have a, a night, nice, uh, neat bow in the next two episodes that does a lot of that legwork, which is fine. But now you've given me a character like Eve that's in an extremely vulnerable position, who's borderline suicidal. You have Rose that's a friend, but why don't they have someone that is indigenous that would be someone that is walking her through her crisis of faith? I like Rose a lot, but she feels almost like, like like I said, this add-on character that I'm not sure is necessary for the storyline other than to be there. Which is cool as well. Also, if you had, if you just were layering, out the world more and you are going to be exploring the more world more but we're not I'm, I'm not even articulating it completely well but those are my feelings of why I scored this episode at 8.6 out of 10 because I'm taking into account the pacing some of the factors that really are are that could be stronger Especially why everyone just drops everything they do for Liz. I can believe it a little bit more with Pete. Even with Pete throwing out that comment with Kayla. I don't even know if that's true or not. I, I, I'm i taking it through. I see Kayla through the lens of Pete. And that that's another thing. It's like, I don't know if I needed. I, I think I would have been fine with him and the the dad. I think the extra bit with having him have a kid and the kid be indigenous, half indigenous. And it, it's just, it, yeah. At this point right now, I'm starting to feel like maybe there's a little too many ingredients on the stove that you don't need. Too many pots going that you don't need. I do continue to love the liberal use of the word fucker from Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster's acting continues to be outstanding. I really, really love this character because when she's soft, it's not when you're when anyone's around to see it. And and by soft, I mean you can feel the depth of her emotion when she's pulling back her daughter's hair. This isn't someone that she's happy to see leave her home. But she is stubbornly 
refusing to to acknowledge any of that vulnerability because I think if she does she is gonna fall apart and that's what she doesn't want it's better to to be sloppy and messy and live life with a a, a more um oh what's the uh oh god i can't think of the term right now but it's a philosopher but with that type of of mentality a cynical mentality uh, versus being present allowing yourself to to need help or garner help to lean on people and to be considerate of other people's lives. And that is something she's just not. But the people around her, the two people around her anyway, that still have an investment in her. I wonder if they're going to be enough to, to be able to push her from her loneliness so that she realizes she's not alone. Prior realizes that he's not alone. She realizes that she's not alone. And I, I think Khalees for her first role I think she's doing a good job, a really good job. She does her best too when she's in, uh, what's the, yeah, I'm running out of dialogue. When she's in a, a highly tense, a highly stressful or a highly emotional moment, I think that's where she shines. Those are my rambling thoughts on the episode. Agree, disagree? blackercouch at gmail.com you can leave a comment below my social media will be there as well like share and subscribe till next time peace hair grease and blacker magic